Welcome to a surprise edition of the USA Powerlifting Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Carrillo, and I'm joined today by our, our president, Larry Maley. And the reason for this podcast is is uh, we have a really urgent update that Larry needs to share. And, and I know a lot of you members out there may have questions and concerns about, you know, what's been going on in Minnesota with our ongoing uh, court case. So I want to just let Larry introduce us here and give us, you know, an update on what's transpired and and what are the outcomes of, of what's happened? Thank you, Ryan. Um, obviously, the, the nature of this podcast is more emergent, and it has to do with the order of the judge this past week, um, which essentially is directed at putting us out of business in Minnesota. Um, we are prohibited from selling new memberships in Minnesota, and we are also prohibited from running meets in Minnesota at this time. And there are a lot of difficulties with that, and I'll go into those some. Um, um, as, as we progress, but at this point, um, we are looking to move the, the central and Midwest regionals, which were scheduled for St. Paul. Um, the, the easiest answer for us, and we don't know if that's going to work yet, but the easiest answer is to move it to a surrounding state that's close in terms of a venue. Um, we will be working on that and the meet directors as well this week. Um, so that's the most immediate of the things. Um, the, the impact of it is significant, I think. While we have a number of members already enrolled in Minnesota who are members of USA Powerlifting, um, those who want to join aren't able to at this time. And, and to get into some of the difficulties that we see here, um, and to give you a little history, this is a, a case that's been going on now for four years either in the Minnesota Human Rights Department or as filed as a, as a freestanding legal issue in Ramsey County, Minnesota. In essence, we are accused of discriminating against the, the plaintiff in this case, J.C. Cooper, because, we, because of our policy that says that transgender women can't compete in the women's division. And... So it's been a long ongoing process and a difficult one. And I'll have a whole lot to say about that at some point as well. Some I can't, but um, in short, um, what we have found is, uh, is a court that appears to have made up its mind with little input from us. Um, and we have filed a series of appeals and we'll do more. One of the unusual things about this case is that when you file an appeal in a, in a court case, um, it's customary in terms of legal precedent to stay all the activities until the Court of Appeals hears it. Um, that is not what happened in this case. Um, so the judges continued to issue rulings, and this is one of them. Um, another unusual thing about this, um, the, the judges is, as a matter of law, to be an impartial hearer of the facts and sometime determiner of those if it's not a jury. The, the judge is the trier of fact. Um, and that's a, an interesting thing. Um, in our most recent hearing before the judge, Judge Patrick Diamond of Ramsey County, you can find him online, um, the plaintiff didn't ask us to be put out of business in Minnesota. Um, and 
likely doesn't want that to occur. I mean, it's it's difficult to assess damages and and show a continuing pattern of behavior if you're prohibited from being there. Um, so the plaintiff didn't ask this. Um, the judge independently and of his own volition issued this ruling. We didn't ask it. They didn't ask it, which makes you say, hmm, that's odd. Um, and so we're concerned. Um, we have respectfully disagreed with the judge repeatedly, had a little difficulty getting any traction with that, but we have disagreed with the judge in terms of what his interpretation of Minnesota law is. And the, the layperson summary is this, you may not discriminate based on business or any other kinds of activities in Minnesota with an exception for sports if it affects the essential character of the sport. And so for our part, we have done a, a thoughtful analysis um, to, to better understand our sport and what the impact of including trans women in the women's division might be. Um, and to review that for you briefly, we looked at 17,000 cases, lifter appearances basically in world powerlifting, and we compared men and women, and we used various statistical techniques to remove outliers. Obviously, if you're a male and you're, you're totaling 1,100 kilos, that makes you sort of unusual. But by the same token, if you're a woman who weighs 40 kilos, that also makes you unusual. So we removed those to normalize the data. We rebend them, um, which is to make statistically meaningful groups that are similar um, in terms of weight classes, and we compared them. Here's what the comparison showed. Men are 43% stronger than women, full stop. There are exceptions, of course. And one of the, the citations often is, I'm not as strong as, for example, Benika Brown, Priscilla Ribic, but, um, and that's true, most men aren't, but those are outliers. And to cite them as a trend is what may be best referred to as lying with statistics. If you look at the whole distribution of men and women, they're 43% apart. And that's a concern for us. And the question is, how do you normalize that and how do you make it fair in that circumstance? Our objective is to include everybody, but it's not to include everybody in a way that is unfair to one group. And so our decision that trans women can't compete in the women's division is based on data. We have offered several alternatives. Um, we have an MX division. Um, that MX division actually is consistent with how the gay games operates. Um, they have a third division as well um, because we want people to participate. But again, we don't want to do something inherently discriminatory to women either. They are a protected class. Um, and so that leaves us with other alternatives. We've thought about how do we handicap trans women such that the numbers come out equivalent? Um, that was rejected by the plaintiff. Um, what they really want is full inclusion by declaration. If I say I'm a woman, therefore I am, no other interventions. And that creates a situation that is fundamentally unfair to women. And we're fighting against that. That's our position. We want to include people, but we also can't discriminate against women and we can't make it 
inherently unfair. So that's the short summary of where we are. Where we're going, as I said, we, we have pursued appeals and we will continue to do so with the Minnesota Court of Appeals. Um, we don't know what the outcome will be, obviously. You, you can never tell. Um, we have reached out to media outlets um, and I'm talking to you as members. You should know what's going on. If this situation is unpalatable to you, if you find this unfair, please be involved. Um, a number of our members have participated publicly in terms of making statements. Um, a number have, have been active in terms of legislation and you can do the same. If you think that the progression of this case, it's all public record. You can log on, you can read all of the judgments, um, all of the pleadings and all of the motions. If you are unsatisfied with the way this is going and the conduct in this case of the parties, um, there is an outlet for you. It's called the Board of Judicial Conduct in Minnesota. Feel free to look them up. Um, if you have an opinion about how this case has progressed, feel free to express it. If you would like to express your opinion or your support to the Court of Appeals in Minnesota, um, we can connect you. Um, and please know that we continue to fight the fight that we are because we believe that the platform must be fair. Well, you really said it all there, didn't you, Larry? You know, one thing I want to call out because some listeners may not be aware, you talked about these powerful statistics that we have to back up our case, but isn't it um, the situation was before the ruling was made by the judge, they actually didn't give us a chance to present our expert witnesses. They didn't give us a chance to even present these statistics in the court. Is that correct? Um, we have submitted the our, our statements basically to the court. Um, but at, at some level, um, we need to be able to explain how we arrived at this. And let me give you an example. Um, if the fundamental question is, is it fair to include trans women in the women's division, you have to go through a, a series of um, research type exercises. The first question you must ask is, are men and women different? Because if they really aren't, if this is shooting or long distance ocean swimming um, or bowling or any of those kind of sports, the answer to that question is no, there really is no difference. So it makes no sense to exclude a particular group based on biological sex. But that's not the case here. So the answer to the first question was, yes, men and women are in fact different. Um, but and just to back up for a second, there are varying perspectives on how to achieve fairness um, and how to achieve inclusion. And, and so on the one extreme, it's obviously full inclusion and science doesn't matter. If you were to look out there, for example, at the website of the Canadian Center for Ethics for Sport, um, they say an interesting thing. They say biology and testosterone don't matter. All that matters in terms of athletic performance is access to facilities, nutrition, and coaching. And 
that flies in the face of what we know about powerlifting. No matter how well a young lady eats, no matter how good her coaches are, no matter how good the gym is she trains in, she is not going to out-squat Jesus Olivares. Not happening. Impossible. Um, he squats a thousand, just so you know. Um, so the, the other end of that argument is science really does matter. Um, we need to take a meaningful look, a thoughtful look at the best data that's available and, and make a reasonable decision. That's how science is done. And then you continue to look and you continue to gather data. What we have not been able to do is explain our position in terms of how we arrived at the decisions, how we analyzed our data, who in fact did analyze that data, what their qualifications are, and the plaintiff has, and this is a matter of public record, objected to our experts. Therefore, we have no argument. How do we explain? Um, another thing they've done is object to um, my expertise. And if you read the judgment by Judge Diamond, the summary judgment, every story has a villain. In this one, it's me. But I will tell you that we submitted 30,000 pages of emails to the opposing counsel, and there's only one mentioned in there. It's the one that puts us in the worst possible light, obviously. Um, so our expertise has been denied as well. What does that leave us? No chance to tell our story. And that's why I'm telling you our story today. Um, we have been thoughtful. Um, we have proceeded in a manner that is consistent with the prosecution of science. Um, we have entertained all hypotheses. Um, we have attempted to rule out basically um, other causes of variation between the performance of men and women. But at the end of the day, statistically, performance is just different for men and women, and it's significantly different. Can we make it less significant? If you transition, what does the best data say? It says you lose 10 to 12% of performance. That's a giant gulf um, when you consider that we started at 43. So we don't believe we can normalize performance that way. We have been refused the opportunity to handicap. Um, adjust by 43% or 31% if you take that 12% off. Seems reasonable to us. Um, we have been demonized, if you will, really for having an MX division. Um, but that's not how USA powerlifting works. We have been accused of othering transgender individuals, but that's not how our family is. Our family is one where if you come down and you lift weights, everybody stands up and cheers, doesn't matter who you are. Um, and they're missing that opportunity, and we're missing the opportunity to provide it. Well said, Larry, and I'm glad you said that because like you've made a point all along, we, we want to include, but not at the expense of uh, another class. And why don't we take a moment to, to address some concerns maybe some of the membership has specifically around the organization. Um, you know, one thing that really stands out to me as a member at the end of that Washington Post article, you talked about, you know, hey, this may be the hill that we die on. And you talk about how you're encouraging our members to stand up and have their voices heard uh, with the judge and, and how things have been progressing in Minnesota. 
Um, can you just give us some more detail on, you know, what exactly the impacts of this ongoing case are to our organization at large and why it's so important for members to, to, to speak up? Well, there are multiple impacts. Um, obviously, the, the one that is now most visible is the fact that we can't have new members in Minnesota and we can't have events there, at least for the time being. Um, that sounds a little bit like a restraint of trade to me um, and a denial of freedom of association, but I would leave that to the courts to ultimately decide. Um, but if you're in Minnesota and you want to join USA Powerlifting, right at this moment, you have limited options. If you're a member, you can go compete out of state. Um, somewhere else, pick your place. But that's the most immediate impact. It's obviously had uh, taken an emotional and financial toll on us. Um, litigation is expensive. Um, one of the advocates um, associated with the plaintiff at the outset of these proceedings said, we are going to sue you out of existence. Um, but thanks to your patronage and the growth of USA Powerlifting, they haven't been able to do that. Um, are we going to capitulate? I, I don't see us doing that. Um, will we maybe have a patchwork of different rules in different states? We may well. I can tell you one thing, though. Um, there will never be a national championship again in a state that doesn't see the world the way we do. Um, so we have just limited the potentials for where we hold larger events. Our national policy is not changing. Yeah, and you know, we just had to cut off access. We're being forced to cut off access to powerlifting for an entire state of people because of the decision of a judge, which again, was not what the plaintiff even asked for. He's operating on his own, right? Seems to be. Yeah. Um, well, this is a lot. It, it's a heavy topic. It, it's something that is, you know, in the zeitgeist of the world at large constantly. And we, we seem to be in the middle of it on the sporting front. Um, I think I can speak for all our members when I say, you know, Larry, thank you the, to the EC, to the leaders, to the state chairs, to everyone who, and, and for those who have uh, spoken out in legislation, who, who've had their voices heard, you know, it, it makes a difference. You may feel like it doesn't, but we really need you. We need you to speak up. We need you to write letters. We need you to, to have your voice heard if you're unhappy with how this has been progressing. Um, is there anything you would like them to do specifically, Larry, to make sure you know, their voice is heard exactly where it should be so it gets the attention of the folks in Minnesota? Well, I think I've t detailed that to some degree, but please be active on social media, um, express your opinion. And one area that we've had limited success with, um, I have to say, is in, in terms of real media exposure for us. People talk about us a lot. People don't talk to us much. Um, the Washington Post recently was an exception um, and I did a series of interviews previously um, with, with media outlets on both sides of the issue. Um, Tucker Carlson and the, and the Daily Caller, sort of right-wing outlets, who I think treated us very fairly. Um, pushed no agenda, just wanted to know what we were about. Um, NBC Out and Out Sports were, were um, equally sort of fair in terms of their presentation. But recently, people are not interested in talking to us about it. Um, I think a lot of people have their mind made up. And, and I'm afraid in some ways that a lot of the press exposure has further polarized these arguments and included things that we have no interest in talking about. 
We just want to talk about lifting and making it fair. Um, we're not involved in other things. So if you have media outlets out there that would like to talk about it, I'll talk to anybody, anytime, any place. I'll, I'll come there and meet them. Um, I will talk to them on the phone. We can do Zoom calls. I would like to explain the position of USA Powerlifting. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Larry. Well, let's talk about something else maybe. You're at the Collegiate Nationals in Arlington, Texas, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been uh, seeing been some seeing of the footage. Some of the it footage. looks it unreal. Looks unreal. Uh, how's, the how's the atmosphere? It's as electric, electric as ever, as ever I, imagine. I imagine. I, I think it's safe to say that Collegiate's is the loudest, funnest meet that we have. We had 1,270 entrants. Um, some people dropped out due to injuries along the way, but we're running four platforms all the time. Um, we're running from 8 a.m. We expect to finish at 10 tonight. Um, watch the live stream, come out and see the show. It's like no other. Heck yeah, I still cherish my days collegiate powerlifting. And as a state chair here in Arizona, you know, I realize there's actually a lot of young athletes who don't even really realize that is the pinnacle for them at this stage in their life. And I talked to some folks at our state meet who had their eyes set on Memphis. They're like, I'm going to nationals. You know, I'm so close to this qualifying total. I'm going to keep trying. And I let them know, I was like, you know, you can go to collegiate nationals and, and you need to. It's the most electric. You're surrounded by your peers. It's, it's, it's super competitive. You know, I just want you all to listen out there. If you're in college, you got to go to collegiates. You can't miss out. And even if you don't have a team, I didn't have a team in college, but I went and I represented my university and it, it was the best powerlifting experience ever. So, you know, get out there, think about next year if you haven't. And if you're there and you're listening to this, we hope you lifted well. We wish you the best to you and your team. Uh, Larry, do you have any other parting words before we close out this podcast? Um, just briefly, um, we have multiple nationals coming. Um, they, are, some of our nationals are embedded in fitness festivals. Um, Equip nationals, youth and bench nationals are, you can find them on our website. Um, we're looking forward to raw nationals in Memphis this year. Um, interestingly, we had to cap that. Um, we got 500 entrants in four days and blew past a cap, actually. Um, and I'd like to close with a call, basically, for volunteers. Um, as I explained to the group at, out here in the audience at Collegiate Nationals, um, we are limited by volunteers. Um, you can't run a meet like this running four platforms, having five spotters, three referees, three jury members, um, multiple assistants in terms of technical support and weigh-ins without volunteers. Um, and if you want meets to be big and you want them to run like these, please go out to your states and go volunteer and learn to be referees and come and participate. We would like to have a 2000 lifter collegiate nationals. We can't do it with the infrastructure we have. We'd like to have 2,500 people at Raw Nationals. Can't do it as we exist right now. So please get out there and help, volunteer, become referees, learn to spot and load and pitch it and help your fellow lifters. Hey man, couldn't have said it better myself, Larry. You know, when I came up in USA powerlifting early on, this was definitely a, a volunteerism culture. You lifted and then you helped, or if you weren't lifting, you were definitely helping all day. And, and guys and gals listening, it makes you a better lifter becoming a referee. I absolutely stand by that statement. When you get certified and you understand the rules of the squat bench and deadlift, it makes you better. 
So there, there's lots of reasons uh, to do it. Uh, Larry, thank you for the time. Thank you for sharing this update with the members. I know a lot of them uh, appreciate the color and the, the background and insight that you give. I know this is going to be you know, heavy news for our people in Minnesota, but hopefully also a, a call to arms and action for the rest of our membership who, who feel who, who, who perhaps feel that this hasn't been progressing in the, the best manner. So again, we need you. Speak up, speak out, and be heard. Larry, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Everyone, thanks for listening.